All right, we are almost done with our series in the, the book of Acts, and um, uh, just enjoyed going through it and seeing the work of the Holy Spirit uh, through the early church. And this, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, this is going to be a tough message because the reason for this is I think sometimes we have this notion that when you look at the early church and even some people will say, how come we can't be like the early church? The early church was so wonderful and everybody got along and they did so many good things. And, and that is true. I mean, there was a lot of great things. God did tremendous thing through the early church. But I think what we miss if we're not careful through the book of Acts is that the church had problems and they even had conflicts. And what I want you to see is in this one chapter of Acts 15, there was a huge conflict within the church that could have easily divided the church. But through the working and the power of the Holy Spirit, God was able to work through the church, to work through this conflict, to work through this problem that Christ can be glorified. How many know where there's people, there will be problems? Somebody say amen. Okay, where there's people, there's going to be problems. And what we need to learn is I think... The way every single one of us, whether you like it or not, the way you were raised, you were learned to deal with conflict in a certain way. And for most of us, it was very, very unhealthy. How many of you can say amen to that? You saw it in your parents or you saw it with a boss and it was either a my way or the highway type thing or it's very dictate, dictator uh, or voices would be raised and there'd be yelling and there'd, there'd be abuse and and just a lot of dysfunction and what happens is is we can come into the body of christ and we can get this misnomer this misconception that we come into the church that everybody is supposed to be perfect and wonderful and we're never going to have problems well the problem is you bring all that stuff into the church also and we need to learn how to correctly deal with with conflict, because here's the bottom line. If I'm going to give you the bottom line for the whole message here, the reason why it's important that we work through conflict is because it's all about relationships. We need to learn to love each other as Christ has loved the church. And I think what's happened in the body of Christ is when we get into a conflict with somebody, we automatically just say, you know what? I'm just going to leave and go to another church. And what we and that's okay. People leave for different reasons, and that's fine. But if, if, if people leave the church for the very reason that I don't want to work through a conflict, we end up taking that baggage, guess what, to that church, and it, and it just keeps reciprocating and so on and so forth. And so I believe this is a great message for us to hear today. And, and I, I want to show you that this is what I love about the Word of God because it shows the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, the Word of God doesn't show a sanitized church or a sanitized version of the church. You know, it drives me nuts when people say we need to go back to the, the church in Acts. And I think people haven't even read the book of Acts because if you read the book of Acts, you can see the issues uh, that are there. And, and, I, and, I, and I do. I get a little irritated when I hear people marginalize churches or even our church or other churches when they say, well, you know, that church. That church is that way. That church is a bunch of talkers. That church is you fill in the blank. And I want you to realize that Jesus died for the church. So when you speak about another church, you're actually speaking against Christ in the church and the people that he died for. Can I get an amen? amen? 
Okay. All of you are married. Some of you, all of you who are married understand this. You know what I'm talking about. At the beginning, everything is wonderful. That person can do no wrong. After a while, the infatuation wears off and you wake up in the morning and their hair is messy and their breath stinks and it's not so pretty, right? Except for my wife. She's always pretty and never has bad breath and her hair always looks wonderful. Listen, the church is no different. That is what I love about the Word of God. It doesn't hide the flaws of people or the mistakes that they have made. So let me be real with you this morning. Christians, many of them want this sanitized Christian walk where they only want people to see one side of them. And I call this kind of cultural Christianity where we look nice, we talk nice, we smell nice, we listen to Christian music, radio, TV, wear Christian clothes, drive Christian cars, which is all fine and dandy except for one thing. The problem is, are we really authentic with one another? And when you really get to know one another, guess what? We're going to see sometimes not the so good side of people. And are we willing to work through that? Do we really? Here's my question for the church this morning. Do we really have authentic relationships? I mean, we can have a church that's nice and everybody comes and says, man, the Living Word's a great church to come to. But, but my question to you today, do we really have authentic relationships where we admit our faults and where we are transparent with one another? It's, it's interesting. What I've seen many Christians do over the years is that they'll let people get so close And then when you begin to dig under the surface a little bit and you become more accountable, many people will back off. Wait a minute, you're getting too close. I don't like that. Many will back off and leave for another church and never really solve their differences. And here's the thing about Acts chapter 15. This is a wonderful example of how the church disagreed or some in the church disagreed on an issue that could have torn the church apart. Yet through the Holy Spirit, and this is what we're looking at, the Holy Spirit working through the early church, through the Holy Spirit, they were able to work through this issue in the spirit of Christ and maintain fellowship that did not tear the church apart. I love the fact that Luke doesn't hide this problem, but shares it for us so that we can come to this understanding 2,000 years later and understand how to resolve conflict in the right way. So before we jump right into Acts 15 here, let me give you a couple things here just to just to give us a basis of what we'll be talking about. First of all, if you got your notes, you can look at those. You can follow along there. First of all, we need to understand that conflict is inevitable. Conflict will happen. The church is full of people, right? So the the church would be perfect if there was no people going to the church or if everybody was just like us or just like me. Right? There'd be no, if everyone was just like me, I'd have no problem. But the problem is the church is full of people and different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds, with different kinds of likes and dislikes. And we're not going to always see eye to eye on everything. But the question we have to ask ourselves, even though conflict is going to be inevitable, even though you may not like the color that's on the walls or the color on the carpet or whatever your personal choice or taste must be, are we willing to serve each other with mutual submission. And that's what we're going to see here in Acts 15. That doesn't mean that we give in to sin or we do something that goes against our convictions. 
but that we realize that I'm not going to always have things my way. And so don't believe the lie that Christians never have disagreements. We will have disagreements at times, but it comes down to how do we handle it correctly in the love of Christ. So it's going to be inevitable. We're going to have to work through it. The second thing we'll see in Acts 15 is that we can disagree without becoming disagreeable. Now, I don't, this is what I don't, please listen to me. I don't mean this. I do not, this is totally not a biblical phrase or, or a biblical principle. When people say, well, we can uh, just, we can agree to disagree. That is so unbiblical because when you say, well, we can choose, we'll just choose to disagree, right? We'll, we'll agree to disagree. The reason why that's unbiblical is because you never resolve the conflict. You walk away saying, I've got what I want, you've got what you want, and we never resolve the issue, the deeper issue, because something's going on under the surface that we need to deal with. And the problem in many churches, or even in relationships, or married relationships, or your relationship with your children, is we never get deeper under what the real conflict is. We just say, well, we'll just agree to disagree, okay? And we'll walk away from this. And then meanwhile, you drag that disagreement with you and that animosity towards that person, and you never work to what God desires for us to deal with, and that's mutual submission. So it's not that we have to agree about everything or we see eye to eye, but it comes down to, am I being disagreeable just to be disagreeable? Am I walking in love? Am I being controversial just to be controversial? Am I looking for a fight? Am I looking to tweak someone because I got something in my craw? You got to be careful here, people. Thirdly, thirdly, okay, thirdly, 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 we're all here, okay? Thirdly, are we emotionally attached to doing something a certain way? Now listen to me very closely. Here's where we need to be real careful. We may place way too much value on something that we shouldn't. We all like doing things a certain way. I like doing things a certain way. It becomes very personal to us. And we can get to the point that my way is the best way, so it must be God's way right? So let's be careful. The, the example is, I love that show, if any of you have ever watched on, on satellite or cable, is the American Pickers. I love these guys go in, they're pickers, they drive around the country, they try to buy stuff and then resell it for more money. And, and, and you've ever seen the American Pickers? It's, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, they use this word called emotional attachment when they begin to, when the person that's wanting to sell things, because they'll end up selling it like it's something they have from their childhood, so they're really emotionally attached to it. So it's like worth way more. They're asking way more than it's worth. The thing may be worth five bucks, and they're asking $1,000 for it because they're emotionally attached to it. So the guys just walk, well, that's emotional attached. I'm walking away from this thing. See, everyone thinks their car is worth more than what it is. Every, I'm telling you, every, they bring it into the deal. Okay, I want $10,000 for my car. Okay, let's deal. And they're like, well, here's the, here's the wholesale. It's worth $50. $50? What? This is worth, do you know, I've driven this car for 20 years. Yeah, and the tires are bald, okay? So they want more because we all have this emotional attachment many times to things. So people will get offended 
at a fair offer. Why? Emotional attachment. Okay, so we need to ask ourselves, why is this so important to me? When it comes to church, it's real important that we ask ourselves this question because we can argue over things and the way things are done for simply emotional attachment. This is the way it's always been done and for that reason, it's the best. So there, so we can bicker over worship style, pew versus chairs, how the church should look, blah, 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 blah. I remember I had one person visit our church when we were building this building some time ago. And we didn't have the cross up just yet. <clears throat> we're looking at what to do with that and, and how to design it and blah, blah, blah. And someone came in to me and uh, they're visiting. The first thing they said to me is that, where's the cross? I'm like, nice to meet you. Your name is? You're visiting for the first time, I see. I'm like, well, we, don't, we haven't decided yet what to... What you, I go, well, I go, well, what if we didn't have a cross? Would that be an issue? I mean, was the spirit of, oh, yeah, yeah, the preaching was good. The spirit of God was here. Well, I said, then what's the, well, you got to have a cross. I go, you do? Where in the Bible does it say, I have to have a cross? Did I find that verse somewhere? Could you show me the verse? Where, I mean, it's a great symbol, I understand. And I said, well, wh why, why would you say that? Because I just wanted to just, because I realized this guy's not coming back because we don't have a cross, so I might as well just tweak him a little bit. So I said, okay. <laughs> So, um, so I said, well, why do you, why do you feel that way? What, what, what? Well, because when I was a kid, every church, ah, oh, emotional attack. Having a cross is not a bad thing, okay? Fine. It, but if I'm worshiping that symbol on the wall and not worshiping the one who died on it, who rose from the grave, something's wrong, right? So meanwhile, most likely this person sat during the whole service and was like this. Where's the cross? Not, not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Do you realize that if you go to churches, evangelical churches, many evangelical churches in Italy have no iconic symbols in their church at all because they want to worship God in spirit and in truth because they came out of such an immersed iconic religious system where everything was statues and blah, blah, blah. And they don't have anything. They just, they go to one extreme, which I don't necessarily think is right either. But let's be careful here, okay? Simmer down, okay? Just because you walk into church and it doesn't have pews doesn't mean that God has left the building, okay? It's okay to have chairs. It's where the spirit of the Lord is, right? There is freedom and liberty, amen? So whether we have a cross or don't have a cross is not the issue. The issue is, is the Spirit of God, or do we come to worship the one who died for us? Are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth? That's the most important thing. So for me, it's it's not a big deal. You know, some people may have hang-ups like, man, you, you serve coffee in a church. I say, yeah, yeah, all right, coffee in the church. I like that. Bring on the donuts. Some people say, well, we shouldn't have coffee in the church. Well, whatever. I don't, you can play rap music, reggae music. I don't care what you play. If it glorifies Christ and it lifts up him, that's what God cares about, right? But we get so hung up on all these things that divide us for this very simple reason, emotional attachment. And there are things, because I got my emotional attachments, I do, all right? I got my hang-ups, I got my problems, all right? I've got my issues. I've got my dysfunctions. I like things done a certain way, and I've got to keep asking myself, Barden, is this an emotional attachment that you need to let go of? All right? 
Is this something for the submission of the church and the betterment of Christ within the church that you need to let go of? Okay, so let's do things that are in mutual submission to one another and let's be careful that we ask ourselves, is this just an emotional attachment that I have that I'm using to bring conflict within the church that I need to let go of? So let, let's look at three major thoughts in the Word of God here that shows us uh, in Acts 15 of how they dealt with a major conflict within in, in the church. So let's look at Acts 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You've got your notes, you can look at them there. Um, and we're going to kind of go jump through the whole chapter there in certain spots and see what the Lord has to say, okay? So let's look at the first thought. The first major thought I want to look at is that we're going to see in this conflict that the church had here and, and that Luke writes for us in Acts 15 is, is what I'm concerned about worth disputing over, okay? The first question we need to ask ourselves is, is what I'm concerned about, is it worth even bringing up? Is it, is it worth disputing over. And let's look at Acts 15, 1 through 3, and let's see what it says. It's be, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, they were going at it. They were talking about this issue because these brothers were saying, hey, unless you're, not, unless you're circumcised, you can't even be saved. So Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and, and brought great joy to all the brothers. Okay, so here's the situation. We've got a, we've got a problem. There's a fringe group of people within the church that are bringing teaching within the church, these Jewish believers that are saying to the Gentiles, if you really want to be saved, then you've got to be circumcised. And so now here's the big issue. Now, is this an issue that, that we're just going to brush off and not talk about? Or is this an issue that needs to be discussed? Well, this is an issue that needs to be discussed because this could have destroyed the church because what it was doing, it was bringing works into salvation. This was something that had to be discussed. Now, I want you to remember the early church God brought together both, both Jew and Gentiles. And the Jews were, were careful uh, in their association with the Gentiles because they believed they were uncircumcised heathen. They were pagan. They could be ceremonially unclean if they touched something that they touched. So here now, God brings them into the family of God and they're supposed to fellowship together. So they're like, okay, if they're going to fellowship with us, then we've got to apply some of our law to their life if they're going to associate with our group. Okay, so if someone comes into the church, okay, if you want to associate with us, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put a suit on. You're going to do this. You're going to cut your hair. You're going to do all this. You're going to, they're starting adding things to their salvation. And so there was among them this hardline fringe of the church that demanded that all Gentile believers become circumcised in keeping with the law of Moses. Circumcision was a requirement to Judaism, the covenant that God made with Abraham, so every future generation can see that God made a covenant with Father Abraham. So here's the conflict. In order to be a Christian, one would have to follow certain ceremonial Jewish laws. And for many Gentiles in the communities they lived in, it would virtually be impossible to follow these laws. And many of them were dietary in nature, and it would literally put a noose around their neck where they could not find freedom 
and their salvation. So this was important, and this had to be discussed because this was dividing the church. Now, I want you to notice something here. Paul and Barnabas went at it with them. There was a, there were, it, the word of God says there was no small dissension, which means they talked about it. They, they met with this group of people, and they went at it for a long time to finally they said, we're going to have to escalate this to the apostles and to the elders of the church in Jerusalem so that we can settle this conflict once and for all. So what they did was Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem and just ended it with a huge cage fight. No, I'm not here. They, they put on the boxing gloves. No, they didn't do that. What they did was is they began to discuss it. And what they did was very important. They met face to face. So here's a great conflict resolution tip for us. When in conflict with someone, talk face to face. Not email, not Facebook, not texting. They didn't tweet. Thank you. They met face to face. Be careful not to fight over petty things, some things we need to let go of. But for this instance, there need to be a discussion. There needed to be a face to face discussion. And so what, what the next thing they did was in this d dispute, which I think is very, very important, is, okay, they, they discussed it. They realized this is a big issue. This is going to divide the church. This is a conflict. They, they couldn't just resolve it with, with these Judaizers, these ones that just uh, were, were doing this bad teaching. They didn't want to be corrected. So the next step was is they went to those in authority. This is important. And I want you to see in Acts uh, 15.6, it says, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So what they did was they escalated this and they went to those in authority. Now, this is an important lesson because God rose up these men and they were not immature. They were seasoned and they had the heart of God in this manner. That is why God has established the eldership and the overseers in a church, not only to teach and direct spiritually, but also to handle disputes that get raised to this level. And I'm thankful for the group of deacons, the elders at our church. These are wise men, and they give wise counsel and uh, give great covering to our church. And I have full confidence in the six men that are serving in the position of board deacon, and you should be very proud of them. Please, please pray for the deacons and the men of our church that lead and direct spiritually and have to make decisions. We definitely could use your prayers, and I love those men deeply. Now, so what happens here? They debated for a long time. They, they listened to all the arguments. They just didn't marginalize these men. They actually listened to them. So here we go. They, they realized that this conflict had to be raised up to the next level, to those in authority. And, but what they did next was very, very important. And I love this third step that they, that they did, as we see in the book of Acts, is that they listened to the heart of God. And let's see what it says in, in verses 7 through 12. It says... It says, and after there had been much debate, okay, they were, they were going at it about this thing. Peter stands up and says this. I love what Peter says. Peter had the heart of God in this matter. He said, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. 
and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed, what? Their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In your face, okay? He just puts these in their place. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. I love this part of the chapter for this very reason. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, through the heart of God, shuts down this fringe group because Peter had the heart of God in this matter. He said, hey, listen, are we going to expect the Gentiles to follow the letter of the law when we and our fathers couldn't even follow it? So what Peter was writing over this whole situation was grace, grace, grace. By faith, God brought them in. By faith, God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what happened here is this fringe group was the letter of the law. They must do this in order to do this. And Paul or Peter shows them grace. And I love what 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 2 Corinthians 3, 6 says. It says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, the letter of the law, but of what? The Spirit. For what does the letter do? It kills. But the Spirit gives what? See, the problem with legalism and the law and all those things, it kills. It puts nooses around people's necks. It takes away from God setting people free because what we tend to do is we say, okay, if I've done A, B, and C, then I must be following the Lord. And, and what Peter says here, no, it's only by God's grace you're saved. There's nothing you can do. And some of you here this morning may have been raised in that type of a very legalistic system where it's all what you do and you don't do to prove your holiness. And he says, listen, be careful there because that's not going to set you free. In fact, that's going to bind you up. Now, that doesn't mean we just live, you know, lifestyles that are sinful before the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. But our lifestyles should be holy and honoring before the Lord because of what God's grace has already done in our hearts. So I want you to listen closely. The law kills for this reason. It can only point to our guilt and not deliver us. We have no power to keep the law in our own strength, thus bringing under God, us under God's judgment. The Spirit brings life for this reason, because it changes our hearts and enables us to keep God's command. Now, let me just be honest with you. For me personally, it's easy for me to understand the letter of the law. It's easy for us to preach and teach the letter of the law of what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do that. You know, if I were to just take a little test with you guys today, and I were to say to the church this morning, we would all agree that pornography is bad, that it's wrong, that, that it, it leads to immoral lifestyle and it breaks up marriages. We, we know that. We realize that. We're not going to argue about that. Okay, we understand the letter of the law there. That is wrong. And I'm going to bang the pulpit and say it's wrong. 
okay? We know it's sinful. It's, it's sexual immorality. We know what the Word of God says about that. But where does grace fit into this whole thing? Well, here's how grace fits into this whole thing. And we had a gentleman in our church that had a heart to reach out to the adult bookstore in our town and invite the people that were in there and the manager who ever worked there to a free dinner theater that we were having in our church. And they, two men, under the accountability, under my prayer, walked into that building. And there was a girl working there. And they said, hey, how you doing? Can we talk to her? She goes, sure. She goes, we want to invite you to our church. And she says, well, do you understand where you're in? Do you understand what building? Do you understand where you're at? Yeah, we do. We want to invite you to a free dinner theater at our church. She goes, you realize that most of the things we get from church are hate mail? And say, can we pray for you? And you could tell this, this, this woman had some ki kind of background with the Lord. I don't know if she backs it away from the Lord or whatever. But she began to cry, and they prayed for her inside of that adult bookstore. And she has a name. And her name is Nikki. And every time I drive by. You see, I'm against that place because what it represents and how it destroys lives and marriages. But I'm for people. God loves people. Do you understand that? See, it's about relationships. And sometimes we are so hard-pressed to get our way and be letter of the law Christians that we picket things. Let me just let you in on a little secret. The world knows what we're against, okay? That's no secret. But do they know what we're for? We're for people. God loves people. He gave his life for sinners. That's who he came for. He came for people like Nikki. Someone in my church told me this story of a conversation he had with another man, and this man said, I just, I'm disgusted with Tiger Woods and all the affairs he had. Now, we would all agree with that. Adultery is wrong. The Bible says it is wrong. We would totally agree with that. We have no problem. Letter of the law, adultery is wrong. Boom. We know that. And so this gentleman in our church looked at him and he says, you know what? You know what the Bible says? Jesus says that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. The man got all, what do you mean by that? Letter of the law. But when you spoke grace to his heart and realized that we're all sinners and that we've all done that, we've all made that mistake. All of a sudden, we need God's grace, don't we? It's much harder when we're put in that seat and we're put under the microscope which we're all guilty of. See, the truth hurts sometimes. And we need to be careful. We can be right on an issue and wrong in the way we approach it. We can be right on an issue. And the way these men approached this very, very vital issue, which these Judaizers were flatly wrong, but they weren't marginalized. Paul and Barnabas dealt with them. Peter dealt with them in the heart of God with the spirit of love. And this is what they did. They took it to the fourth step. And what they did was they screened it through the word of God. Look at, um, look at 
Acts 15 and or Acts 15. Look at verses 13 through 17. It says, after they finished speaking, James replied, "Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God, Peter, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from a people for His name, and with this." The words of the prophet agrees, just as it is written. After this I will return, and I will build the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. So James speaks up and confirms through Scripture what Peter and Paul and Barnabas were experiencing. This is important because the Word of God is our final authority. It, 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 it guides us and it protects us from going wayward. And, and Paul encourages Timothy when he says to him in 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 5, he says, As I urge you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may change certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is, is what? Love that issues from a what? Pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is a wonderful verse because we are we are to protect and be aware of false teaching, but always addressing in love. And, and this very verse just flows into this very last thought, which I love the way they, they ended this whole dispute. They were biblical. They basically shut down the Judaizers and said, no, we're not going to give into that type of teaching because that's legalistic. That's not done by faith. That's not by God's grace. God has, through the scripture, prophesied that the Gentiles would be grafted in, not by what they do, but by the spirit of God, by God's grace, by their faith, not by what they're going to do and not do. That's going to add to the problem. So in this last step, what they did is, in some cases, we definitely need to learn, and I put in quotes, some. In some cases, we need to learn to compromise. And so what they did was, in verse 19 and 20, it says they made a judgment on this situation and it says that we should, we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who, who yearn to, for God, who, 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 who want to seek the Lord. We're not going to hinder them, but should write to them to do a couple things here because they lived in such immoral lifestyles and situations that they should, they should abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled from blood. So what they were doing was they were, they were, they, they were trying to compromise on this issue of trying to blend these two groups together that thought, well, the Jews thought, well, these things are very important to us. And we're saying, we're not saying that these things aren't important. They're not, they're secondary issues. They're not issues that lead people to salvation. So what was done here is they didn't steamroll the opposition but they were sensitive to those things that were important to them. They didn't demand the Gentiles to do these things except for sexual immorality. Paul would address this in detail in his other letters. 
But what they cautioned the Gentiles was this. They cautioned them to abstain from things as not to cause their Jewish brothers in the Lord to stumble. So if they were fellowshipping together, they would say, listen, don't do these things to cause them to stumble. Even though you don't have to observe these certain things, to the Jew who has been saved, it's still important, even though it's not a case for salvation. So the bottom line here, what they addressed here is, do everything that leads to mutual edification. Don't put a noose around your Gentile brother with special days and observances. And, and, and the Gentile brother, don't eat your meat rare in front of your Jewish brother, okay? Just, just be sensitive to one another in these issues that are important. And that's what I would say to you. Be sensitive to one another. And I think Paul addresses this so well in in, in, in Romans 14, the, the verse there is, is not correct in your, in your notes, but just listen to me because I want to read it to you in Romans 14, 20, and you can look up at the screens. And I love what Paul says here because this really brings the unity of the church together. He said, do not for the sake of food or whether you have pews or chairs or worship style, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to do what? To stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith and for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So basically what Paul is saying, if this is a conviction of you, you keep it between yourself and the Lord and don't do it. But don't tie a noose around your brother's neck by saying you can't do this. And then when you have a weaker brother that is growing in the Lord and still struggles with some of these issues of drinking or, or meat that may have been offered up to idols. We don't understand that in our today's society, but back then it was a big deal. They're saying, don't eat meat in front of that brother. If you're not convicted about that, everything is clean. But if, if, if you're convicted about that, then, then, then keep it between you and yourself. And if your brother comes over that has a problem, don't do it in front of him. Have, have chicken. I don't know. Have salad with tofu. I don't know. You know, do something that's not going to lead them to stumble. And basically what Paul is saying here, because we can get in all the details of what about this, Pastor? What about this? Listen, the bottom line is this. He's saying it's about relationships. What are we doing? Instead of putting a stumbling block in front of our brother and causing them to trip up, what are we doing to lead them closer to the Lord? Are we concerned about our brother and our sister, are we just concerned about being right and having it our way and pressing our convictions in their life? Now, I'm not, he's not talking about things that are obvious sin that we need to make a stand for. He's not talking about that. He's talking about secondary issues that you may have concerns about that are important to you, but maybe not really that important to somebody else. Let's be careful that these things don't become dividing measures within the church that we keep them between ourselves and the Lord and we honor that person that has those convictions and we don't use that to usurp them or to tie a noose around their neck. All right, so let me just give you some practical things here. 
as we close. Let me just give you some rules on, on, on how to just resolve conflicts in your life, okay? He, here's the first thing I want to tell you is agree to resolve the conflict. Don't walk away. Don't say, well, we'll agree to disagree. Don't do that. Let's work on resolving the conflict. And here's how you do it, okay? No name-calling, okay? That's just hitting below the belt, right? Well, when things don't go our way, we end up saying, well, you know, your hair looks funny. You know, I don't know what we say. We, we get name-calling. Um, take turns in talking. Don't interrupt. And here's a great way to do it. When you're conversing because you know you got something in your mind and then you want to over-talk the other person so you don't let the other person talk because you want to get what you... And then the other person's not listening to what you have to say because the other person's already thinking what they're going to say in defense of what you just said about them. So they're thinking about that. So meanwhile, you're not even listening to each other. So what you do is you listen and then repeat. Say, so let me understand correctly. This is the way you feel. Yes. Okay. So we have it. So we're not interrupting each other. Be clear and... Boy, it got really quiet in here. Okay, be clear... (laughs) Pastor, you're getting close to home here. Be clear and truthful about what's bothering you and what you really need. Okay, listen to the other person. Be sure you understand how he or she sees the problem. Okay? And then just as we talked about, be willing to compromise if that's appropriate in that situation. Not compromise into sin. I hope that's clear, okay? So when you speak to that person, be very specific. Say things like, when you do so-and-so, be very specific here. Bring up the action that the person does that bothers you. When you do this, this is what concerns me. And then relate by saying, I feel. Be honest. State in simple facts what the person's action does to you. This is the way I feel about this thing. And then ask the person, I'd like you to maybe change a different path. I'd like you to do this or see it in this way. And be careful. Don't bring up everything. I know when we're in the heat of battle, we bring up everything. Choose your battles. If the other person is doing something that is creating a wedge between you, it's worth bringing up. But don't bring up everything, okay? And then really ask yourself, stop and ask, is it you? Okay? That's the hardest question. This might be me. We always think it's the other person. You might be overtired. You might be overcommitted. It is fair for you to bring up something the other person is doing. It's not fair. I mean, say that it's not fair for you to bring up something the other person is doing when you're tired and grumpy and you got an attitude and you're hungry, okay? Maybe it wouldn't be an issue at this point, okay? So stop and ask yourself, is it me, okay? And then importantly, pray. It's important to keep the Holy Spirit in the center of everything. Pray about it. I'll tell people, have you prayed about it? Oh, oh yeah, that's probably important to do. Yeah, it is important to do, okay? Pray about it. Pray about the situation. Let God deal with your heart, And don't react when emotions are high. Because what begins to happen is these things begin to elevate. And many of you have been in dysfunctional situations where it just becomes a shouting match. So when emotions are down, it will give you time to rehearse and to practice what you want to say 
Because your goal is for the health of that relationship, not just to get your way or to get your point out, but the health of that relationship because we're called to love one another. And remember that your tone speaks volumes. Okay, If your approach to the other person with the three phrases is an arrogant or condescending matter, it won't matter what you say. They'll hear one thing, I'm being attacked. So watch your tone. And here's the thing that I think is so the most important thing in this whole thing. Remember that it's really about relationships. The key is the health of the relationship that you have with the other person, not the score of the game. It's not to one-up the person. It's not even about winning the argument. Do you notice here that Paul and Barnabas and the elders, it wasn't about winning the argument because guess what? One person wins and one person loses, but in reality, you both lose. Capiche? Okay, so it's not about winning the argument. It's about the relationship. And are we working through that relationship? That's why the book of Ephesians tells us with all humility and gentleness, with patience, that we're bearing with one another in love. So here's my, as we just go before the Lord this morning, here's my, here's my call to you as the church this morning. Listen, don't brush things under the carpet. If, if there is a situation that you have with somebody, talk to that person. Don't go to four or five other people to get it off. If you've got to talk with that person, why? Because it's about relationships. It's about the health of the church. It's about the spirit of Christ and Christ working through us. Amen? So whether it's in the church or it's in your married relationships or in your family relationships, it's about relationships. And so, yes, conflict will happen. We're not going to see eye to eye on things. We're going to tweak each other. We're going to bother each other on certain issues. But it's how we work through those issues in the spirit of Christ that God is most concerned with. Because really, when you boil it down, church splits usually are over really dumb things and simple things. And here's the, here's the underlying thing. The underlying thing is we're all sinners. And in some way or another, we're all selfish. And one way or another, we all want it our way. And so we really have to allow the spirit of Christ to grip our heart, to say, God, you need to be glorified in this situation first and foremost. And am I taking the right steps in the spirit of Christ to resolve this conflict because this relationship is important to you, because it's important to the health and the vitality of the church as a whole. So don't bury things, okay? Don't think that they're just going to go away, because they won't. Unresolved conflicts never go away. They just surface in some other way. Allow God to work through you. If you've got something in your craw or with somebody else, work through it. It's about relationships and do it in the spirit of love and Christ is glorified. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Let's pray as we just go to the Lord and look to Him. God, as we come before you today, Lord, we need your help in this area because all of us in one way or another have really missed the mark in resolving conflicts in our lives. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we ask for your help. Lord, we need your guidance in this area. We look to the cross of Christ to find grace and mercy. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that just has bitterness from their past, unresolved conflict, unresolved issues that have never really been worked out. Lord, I pray you just speak to them today through your grace. As we humble ourselves before you, Lord, we say we need you. We can't do it without you. And so we look to Christ to help us. Lord, I pray for a protection over this church. That, Lord, we would just not put on a fake smile, but, Lord, we would grow deeper in our walk with you and our fellowship with one another, that we can spur each other on to good works. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God, help us to sharpen each other so that we can grow deeper in fellowship with one another that we can grow to the depths that you desire us to grow to. So conflict sometimes necessarily isn't a bad thing. It can be a good thing if Christ is glorified through it. And as what we saw in the scripture today, it was a good thing because it helps solidify the church and not splinter the church. It helped build relationships between Jew and Gentile and not hinder them. So we thank you for your spirit that guides us in this way. So give us your mind. Give us your spirit as we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Listen, I want to encourage you. If you need to go to somebody today and make it right, I want you to do that. Don't Just don't walk out of this building and say, well, that was a cute message that Pastor preached. That was nice. Okay, we'll forget about it. The Lord's speaking to your heart. Make it right. If he's, the Holy Spirit is, is nudging at your heart, make it right. Don't, don't allow the Spirit's prompting to go by and harden your heart. Listen to the Lord and allow him to make that right in your heart. Amen? God is good. Let's stand. And let's just worship the Lord. Just let God deal with your heart today. Amen as we worship him. God bless you.
to the cross and what Jesus Christ did for us and how he laid everything down for us. I think we begin to look at our relationships a little bit differently. We begin to look through them through grace and, and through mercy. And uh, Jesus became that suffering servant for us. And I believe that a lot of our conflicts, a lot of our problems can be resolved by just simply learning to serve each other. And uh, when we do that, we have the heart of Christ. So Lord, as we go in your presence today, may we have your heart. Lord, may you do a deep work in every situation here today. Lord, I pray for healing in relationships and marriages and individual lives. Do that great miracle, God. May your spirit well up inside of us, Lord. And let us be obedient to your word today that you might be glorified in your church. And that was your prayer, Jesus. That by their love, that they would know that they're my disciples. That they would walk in unity. So Lord, allow us to do that as we work through our differences in love. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for conflict. Because it helps us to grow and to mature. And we need that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Love you guys. Hey, if any of you need prayer today, prayer partners will be up front and uh, we'll pray for you, whatever you need may have. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.